The Creative Trust is a limited podcast series to celebrate 20 years of Gloss Creative. Together with our Stella alumni, we'll share everything we know to be true about the creative process and the business reality of running a small but powerful design platform. Two decades ago, I started Gloss Creative as my creative platform for experimentation and exploration. What has ensued has been an endlessly rewarding creation of ephemeral installations, each one put up, pulled down, each one leaving an enduring mark on its audience. I learned early on that I could make audiences fall in love with environments simply by making them feel and experience something. Memories that lasted long after the physical immersion had gone. It crystallised my long-held belief that your business plan is to harness your unbridled creative force and that creative renewal is your most powerful weapon over time. Welcome to the Creative Trust. This episode, The Marquee. Build it and they will come. Over the last 20 years, we have designed and built over 75 marquees for some of Australia's most luxurious corporate and private events. Today, you'll have an all-access pass to three of our alumni who have made some serious event eye candy and laid the groundwork for some very huge parties. Today, I'm joined by Jahan Postma, Lucien Hemingway and Dale Cheeseman to talk about the magic and how it's made. So thanks for coming in today. I first, I guess I'd like to introduce everyone to these amazing people. Um, Lucienne Hemingway is our interior designer. So there isn't a structure, an event, a place that hasn't been catted, rendered and detailed by Luce when we've made all these incredible creations. She's the resident overachiever of Gloss Creative She's not just about work. She's also um, plays the violin, can drive a jet ski and is a food stylist in her uh, spare time that she has. She's cooked many a chicken on the aga in the Gloss Creative Studio, but it is her generosity of spirit and her hardworking and adventurous nature that we always appreciate. She always, you know, will come back with ideas that are bigger and better every time we evolve them. I've known Luce for like, oh, I don't know, 10 years or more, and we've had a lot of fun out at Flemington. So thanks for coming today, Luce. Okay, we've also got Dale from the Melbourne Builder. Dale came to us in 2016, I think, and was brave enough, I guess, to say yes to a Maya Marquis. Uh, Lou said, oh, there's this guy who keeps, you know, talking to me and he's really keen to come and have a chat. And he came to have a chat. And I was like, wow, I think this guy really wants to work with us, not just kicking the tyres. He's like really into it. And literally you came on board with us and boom, we created, I think, one of the best marquees that we've ever made in Maya, which we'll talk about, I'm sure, throughout the course of today. So thank you so much for coming and sharing today. And, you know, the Melbourne Builder, I'm just, A, loving, you know, your spread of residential and event things that you do. And I feel like Dale is one of the very first people to use social media actually to build his business, you know, the Melbourne Builder. So he's always out on site with his camera showing the workings and the making and the process of the bill. And Jahan Posma, who was in last week, who told us all how to get the mood boards going. She's back today. 
Jahan has worked with us over the past seven, eight years, um, an amazing creative director in her own right. There's nothing that Jahan can't find in fashion, in theatre. Her research abilities and her level of cool is just something that brings us all up to the next level um, every time we're together. So thank you, Jahan, for coming today as well. I guess we're going to start with a little bit about your backgrounds. Everyone comes to these things and does the same job, but we all come from different backgrounds. So I'm keen to see how you ended up where you've ended up why you know how you're here today what background have you got what's led you I guess to designing and creating Marquise Luce if you want to kick off I come from I guess more an interior architecture and industrial design background studying that at university and going straight into that as a career and then I guess kind of very accidentally fell into the world of events I didn't actually even really know it wasn't on my radar I didn't really know it existed before. I kind of got invited by someone in the industry to kind of come in and be a part of it, which was Georgie Kay from Gorgeous Occasions, who was the girlfriend of the furniture maker of the workshop I was working in at the time. She took me to the VRC birdcage and I just could not believe the world it kind of was. I'd never really known about it, thought about it. And yeah, just fell, literally fell into it from that. And I think the creativity of that is different to the world of architecture and interiors and is kind of, I've stayed in it because of that creativity. Definitely. And, you know, thinking about where you've come from, you know, I mentioned that you're a food stylist, you know, when you've just explained what you did. But um, once again, I feel like there's so much more to that story, you know, whether it was you were three and decided you'd walk up the road to the shops in the country town or play the violin for fun at the local hairdresser when you were nine for money. Also, you had a stint in Milan as well. So how did that form you? How, those experiences that you had as a child, um, you know, this is something that, you know, as you know, I constantly talk about where does people core creativity come from? How did you develop that background? I think it was from a lot of freedom I've and always taught I guess there weren't any restrictions so I think everyone in my degree did their work experience in Melbourne and I felt back then that architecture of Australia was very kind of conservative compared to the rest of the world and I wanted to go out there and do something that was a little bit more creative I guess in design because I wasn't really feeling that in Australia and Milan well it was Italy France or Switzerland were my three choices and I think the Milan office that I worked in was number three on my list and they just said yes someone coming to work for free for them was obviously a A good thing thing. (laughs) and yeah I was like yes Milan the fashion design kind of you know headquarters of the world almost was a was a dream and then obviously the food component was a big part of that as well I've always been brought up cooking and from a family that was very much been interested in food and cooking and I think the two in events are very much paired it's a food and design and kind of overall experience that has kind of let me do everything I like so I've been quite lucky in that regard. And you know it's not just the marquees that you do obviously some of the prettiest bars in town like the Arbery I know you've worked with Dale and Jahan on that that's been a powerhouse of fun and creativity for Melbourne so you know you can see this you know, when we're designing, you're always about the bar, how it's going to be and how do the food concepts roll out. And you can see that. And it's interesting that your background in food 
and the furniture thing is like boom, you know, in this particular area. So, Dale, how how did you get here? Where did you start? I actually don't know. Um, well, I was a carpenter, just a regular chippy. I, I ended up getting my builder's license, which is a hard thing to to do in Victoria. Sean and I were paving our way into the residential building market, and um, luckily, my wife Gemma, she was in she's in PR and she was working for an agency that subcontracted to some of these big companies that were in the birdcage. So I got a little bit of a taste. Um, and I used to, you know, go into the birdcage as a builder and just think, how the hell do they do this? You know, how do they build this? You know, all the flashy stuff that you see. And we saw on Gloss Creative that they were looking for a builder. And Gemma said, you should email Amanda. And, and I did. And I remember the first time I walked into the office and nervous as hell, um, and you presented plans that I had no idea what I was looking at. Um, hey. <laughs> and I still probably don't now, but, <laughs> but um, I suppose that's how I got into the space. But we had done Arbury the year before. Um, so that got us to, we did have a factory, we did have a panel saw, and we did have a component of shop fitting. Um, and that's what you do need to have when you're doing um, marquees. So we were thrown into it, really. <laughs> That's, I, I think that's the university of life. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I think, yeah, Have a crack. that's where you really learn, isn't it? Yeah. Life qualifies you, as Francesca from Danavid would say. Jahan, how did, how did you arrive here? I guess I always thought I would have a career in design. And when I was at high school, I just thought I would have to do graphic design. So I started to do a degree in that. And then I realised that's actually not really what I liked. I didn't want to be stuck in front of a computer all the time. And then I had a friend, Edda Curry, who was doing visual merchandising and I saw all the work she was doing and I just thought, I have to do that. And she's worked at Gloss before too. And yeah, then, so I went into visual merchandising and I still thought I would be doing photo styling or some sort of styling. I never thought I would be part of build or events but then I met you Amanda <laughs> and I knew I had to work with you um, and saw all your amazing work and um, then I just got thrown into all of it. <laughs> you certainly did. <laughs> yeah mm. so I did a mentorship with you for three months and then I just stuck around and now mm. you can't get rid of me. Yeah. And I am very happy for that, let me tell you. <laughs> so good. And do you think there's anything in your childhood, um, your experiences, uh, you know, once again, designing from your core and your core loves, what is it in your childhood or your background that, you know, comes to the fore that makes you the designer that you are? I think I was always like crafting and creating and painting. I love photography, just always experimenting with different mediums. But there was never one thing in particular that I was attached to, which I think is so true for what I do now as well. Like I love to try all different forms of design and, yeah, we're always experimenting with um, different things. Fantastic. All right. Now I'd love you to summarise what you think temporary design is to you. What do you think the very best event or interior designers can bring to a temporary event and a marquee, loose? I think it's about the creativity. I think because events are temporary, I guess we're really lucky in Melbourne there's, there's so many of them. It's having the freedom to come up with your most exciting, craziest ideas and then getting the trust from a client 
to actually follow them through and then the skill of a builder <laughs> to be able to build them as well. Yeah, I think it's the thing that I love and I think the thing that makes temporary design amazing is its creativity and braveness. Dale, um, what is this whole temporary design thing to you? What does it mean to you? And what do you think like a builder can bring to this whole temporary um, yeah, well, I, I think we, we're lucky enough to create a wonder world. Um, you know, we go to America and you walk into Disneyland and you just, you know, you're wowed because you're in this different space. And I went, like I was at Flemington last week and it's, you know, this asphalt with nothing on it. And, and to think that in, a, you know, a couple of months time, a few months time, it's going to have all these, you know, amazing builds and, and things like that. So for me, it's um, just trans forming something into another world um, and we we really do do that but uh, yeah just from a building point of view like we we're lucky enough to work with with you guys you know in des with designers that um, come up with crazy ideas and then sometimes we've got to literally work out how we're going to do it and how we're going to build it to obviously always a budget and um yeah, trying to make things work. And it's interesting that thing of, you know, we design to a certain point, but then it's always, okay, we're in the car and we're out onto the scaffold or whatever it is. And we're taking those designs and going, actually, how does this work? And I feel like that's where it all becomes a whole nother different thing. What's that process like for you? Trying to work out what materials will make it look like that, because if we use the real thing, then no one's got any money left. Um, so, but <laughs> it is getting happens. <laughs> <laughs> it is getting harder now with restrictions and fire ratings and all that kind of stuff. But you know, if it was, I think in the 2017 marquee that we did for Maya, we had um, you know acrylic mirrors that we had spinning around, and if we used real glass then we probably wouldn't have been able to afford to do it so it's probably being creative with materials um is the biggest thing from our end jahan what do you think like what's what does temporary design mean for you and i guess what is it that you think that you can bring to a temporary event what's your magic within it well i think um temporary design is a chance to be quite experimental with your design like you were both saying, you know, you can test your creativity. There's sort of no limit to what you can do because in actual time, you know, it doesn't need to have as much longevity. So you can be more experimental with um, especially materials. You know, it's, it doesn't have to last as long and you can test out different materials. And then... Well, it literally only lasts for four days, don't we? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Sometimes half an hour. Yeah. <laughs> if it's um, a fashion show, it might be 20 minutes. Boom. It doesn't last as long, but you want it to last in people's memory because it's not around for so long, so you need to create bigger impact. So the best marquees, uh, as we know, are created by a tsunami of creativity and a myriad of finer details. What's your creative process when you start a new brief? So, Jahan, we might start with you on this one. I think we have a very fluid creative process between us now, which we sort of do without thinking about. We'll come together and have our brains, which is, you know, a mixture of um, writing down words and drawing. Um, I'll do mood boards. Luce will do her renders. Then we all come back together and share our thoughts. And then that will springboard into whole new thread of thoughts and then we just keep drilling down and drilling down and then once we sort of have our ideas locked in it goes into production 
which is sort of the tricky part. And we actually have to collaborate with our suppliers, like how do we actually make these dreams come to life? And how long does it take like for you the whole process from, you know, when you start with a client to when it's put in, you know, the first Tuesday in November? It's varied for different projects, but I guess for the marquees, we start in June or July and we are looking at that project every week all the way through. So it's it's actually one of the longest projects we do over a year. And Luz, describe your personal creative process. Yeah, really interested to hear, you know, when you get the brief and we start to talk, what goes on in your head? I kind of get really excited about the buzz of creating something new. And I think it's the event design that we do for Marquis is very interesting because it's quite often it's a project that you might have designed four times already and it's like how do you make it different every single year when it's the same client, it's the same space, it's like how do you reinvent something that you've already done multiple times before. So I get really excited about and think all the craziest ideas I could possibly have and, you know, we're going to put the DJ in the air and he's going to play down to everyone or the bar's going to be made out of this crazy material or we're going to move it to here, put it there and how people will experience that. And quite often it's the same people that go to these events every year. So it's like how do you make the experience different for them? So it's quite often the amazing, really fun stuff to begin with. And then for me as well, and quite often like we'll all come up with ideas like, oh, let's do this. And I'm like, no, you're not allowed. that. Someone's going to fall down it and break their neck. So it's a balance of the really fun, creative stuff to begin with. And then we've got to really, really quickly pull it into a practical side for all the, I guess, you know, the VBA drawings and restrictions and drawing sets. And then obviously as well, it's the build and the budget of this is what we want to do. We can't afford that. How are we going to skew it into something that it's still what we want, but it's buildable, affordable, all that kind of business. So it's very fun and very fast. It's very detailed um, and then it kind of all disappears all at once very quickly. (laughs) I'm always really fascinated actually how we do do that every year, how we change everything so markedly. As we said, you know, I think in 2016 we had a very beautiful pink velvet, you know, uh, that new colour palette of velvet and browns and uh, rich reds, you know, we really started with and the next year... I think it was called Pasta Play, was like blue and mustard yellow with oaks and timbers and that sort of thing. So, you know, it's always a great thing when people walk into the space and they go, whoa, I wasn't expecting this because somehow the year before you've left them with this sort of memory that's embedded in their brain. So somehow they walk up those stairs thinking, oh, yeah, I know what I'm coming to here and then it's not. And that's really, really satisfying. And I think that's part of the creative process is working out what new things to bring in, but also what things to repeat. I find that whole thing about repeating the things that work, keep doing them and bring new in. And, you know, I guess that's part of the creative process too of, you know, where do you get that newness from? And I feel like that's definitely part of what we do. We're always looking for new, especially when it's fashion-based looking for new things as well. Also, then Dale, I guess, how does this whole process work out for you? Like, after you've worked with us, we give you the brief, you come to site, what happens back at the factory? How do you, how do you make this all happen? Is it all done on site, some of it off site? 
How do you go about it? Yeah, well, we start by reviewing the plans and seeing, you know, what we need to start to get the ball rolling on. But sometimes, you know, definitely with the two Meyer marquees, we had to kind of build on the run a little bit because like the 2016 with the Velvet, that wasn't coming in until two weeks before Derby Day. (laughs) Um, So we had to try and work out how do we clad the walls, but how do we take the walls off and have them, you know, um, staple velvet onto the the MDF panels. So we, you know, in that case, we designed um, lift-off split battens that we were able to do all the prep work. So we were ready for the material and it came in. And then we're, so we're kind of building backwards, but that's the, just the way we had to do it. And that, and it was the same with the perforated steel that year where that came late. So, you know, bit, I think with building there, we just had to build on the run. Um, but how it looks is six weeks, pretty chaotic. But the difference between, I, I don't think it was, it's challenging and we work hard, but the biggest thing is that probably on residential projects that get held up is architects take a week or two the clients are thinking about what color they want to paint the wall so those things delay builds and in this instance you just don't have a day you don't have an hour so it's a phone call it's a video or or whatever it is and it's you just got to kind of make decisions quickly and that's been the biggest thing we have taken out of event building into people's homes is is pushing pushing trades and pushing decisions because Sometimes if you think about it for too long, it's the wrong one. So yeah, I've had many a photo text from all of you guys, you know, whether it's um, I think one of the marquees we decided that we'd tile an entire floor. Yes, you did. <laughs> and then take out individual yep. pieces of tiles to put in fashion quotes. And trust tradies could spell. I think that was <laughs> Not thing. only that, it's on a scaffold, which is, a, you know, a crazy. Moving, crazy. Yeah, yeah it's not a proper structural base to build from and I suppose that's a good example of probably working together because you know you asked me how is this gonna how can we tile on a scaffold and and I suppose that's where our building background came into play and we built subfloors over the scaffold and things like that but yeah tiling um I remember trying to spell (laughs) and the grout some of those words (laughs) that you were trying to give us but (laughs) lucky and the grout yeah and I think Liz did a template one of our amazing graphic designers did the template for us, so we yes, eventually got the spelling it. right. We put stickers on the tiles to <laughs> yeah. pull out, yeah. And, great. you know, the background to that is Jahan and Luz had to get the size of the tile, send it to the graphic designer so she could design the type so that it exactly fitted within the tile thing. So there was a bit of reverse engineering. So a lot definitely goes into it as well that year was also fun we had a moving sushi train of drinks and interesting things to eat tell us about the whole how that came to be I guess we we knew we wanted to have this amazing food experience in the marquee and Amanda I think you had this idea of a sushi train going around in your mind for a while and we thought this is we're always trying to, to find use. when can we use yeah. this and it's not a new thing it's just a good thing yeah and I don't think it had been used in the birdcage yet so it was definitely the moment we actually found that sushi train on gumtree for two hundred dollars because we looked up new ones and they were like twenty thousand yeah sadly <laughs> not out on of the, the cards. budget we got it into the marquee and we were like this is just 
like the buy of a lifetime. I can't believe we've got this. And then it broke down like the day before the event. And then I had to find this engineer and I was really trusting this engineer. This is like back when I actually trusted people. (laughs) And I thought, no, he's going to come through. He's going to fix it. He didn't come. And I had to quickly find someone else. But I think um, I think our boys had a few temporary fixes, yeah. but then I think you got onto the gum who, whoever you bought it off, and I think they might have come out and fixed it. And right, they literally right pressed a button and it went <laughs> boom. I think it was like the day before. Um, it was pretty Derby stressful. Yeah. It was very stressful, yeah. but it was it was a really great thing. A, it was like seriously fun and wow factor and, you know, social media ready. But also it actually was the first example of having food out in a marquee for guests that they could go to. So, you know, it was a great example of actually something, a need in the marquee, but that we delivered it in a fun way. So no one knew actually what the end, they weren't thinking about the end purpose of it. So I guess part of my next question to you all is about the wow factor and what wow factor means for you. In a sense, you know, that sushi train was so, you know, attractive to social media because people saw it and loved it and wanted to share it with their friends. So I'm really interested how social media has changed the way that we create wow factor, you know, how how powerful it actually needs to be now, you know, whereas in the past a quiet restrained schmooze would be enough and now it needs to be somehow photographically appealing and a lot stronger. Talk to me about the way that social media has changed the way you design. Well I think the wow factor for us is always the visual first. You know we want to create this amazing beautiful place and it's funny because often people say to us when they you know when they first enter our installations, oh my God, I want to live here. This is so amazing. And that is the best compliment of all. Because they can see themselves yeah. being a part of it. It's like they want to be there forever. That's the emotion we want. The dream. We were also lucky because a lot of the places that we created already had um, this social media pool. People were already taking photos in those vignettes before we even wanted them to be that. And so it was very natural to us. When we did the marquee in 2016 for Maya called By Invitation Only, it was the first time that we'd experimented, I guess, with Millennial Pink. And we didn't just have pinks. We paired it with, at the time, tans and deep red sort of oxbloods and burgundies and, you know, a touch of beige, I guess. And seeing how people reacted to that space, especially women, was incredible. And it started to pop up, you know, uh, Mel Stapleton's gorgeous flowers started to pop up on it. Um, Grazia's Featherston chairs, all, all of a sudden it started to pop up on social media and it sort of went from there. That build was quite powerful in what it did for, I guess, highlighting colour and mood and all of that sort of thing. And I I do love the way that fashion informs that. So, Johanna Luce, can you talk about colour to us and how we we think about colour? We all have individual sort of thoughts about it, but how do you approach it? I guess that's an interesting one because we always seem to give in a slight brief from the client on what the colour is, and especially in fashion, 
you know, they will give us a base color palette. And I, I guess it's how we like to interpret it and use it and use it in ways that people potentially haven't. I mean, color's been around forever. And so everything seems to have been done, but it's pushing that direction of not only just the color of it, but the texture and the way, like how you put the colors together and it's put together with materiality as well as color. And then we, I feel like we're quite good at pushing it to an overall sensory feeling of that color. It's not just a red couch, it's the layering of that color on all the other levels of materiality that creates the whole space and gives it that vibe. So that year that you were talking about, the pinks and that, it was full of warmth and it was like, I don't like this word, but it was so cozy. And if you've been to a market at the races before, it, you're literally in a tent in a field and the weather, it's always extreme. So it's always it's never right hot or it's freezing cold. And I think creating these environments that people are comfortable to be in the entire day, as well as that wow factor, you know, we really push that as a concept. And then I think the year after with the playfulness of that marquee, Press, past, past press to play. play. Yep. Like that color made it playful. Like they were unusual colors, but it was used in a way that was quite fun. Mustard going from the carpet on the ground right up to the top of the wall. You might not want mustard as the main color in your kind of interior, but here it was really fun. Like it overtook the space and it really gave to that whole concept of what the space was about. And it's interesting how we get it when Dale, when we get out on site, you know, it's never just one blue on the wall we try 20 yeah. you know because generally speaking do you think when you put paint on a wall does it get lighter or darker well it depends if it's in natural light if if it's got a downlight, a light shining on it so do need to put three or four on the wall I don't think you should put too many more because then it's <laughs> sorry about too that. many decisions <laughs> but um yeah I mean and Instagrammable for me is like you saw the change between 16 and 17 that you did say it was larks a by appointment only, the steel doors and things like that. But then I think that was a bit of an Instagram kind of shift and social media shift where I remember it coming to the next year and we were talking about design elements and you did incorporate words in floors for photos and for social media, that the, the um, mirrors that I spoke about, the sushi train and things like that. So I feel like it was a bit of a shift between 16 and 17. When you came on board as well, Dale, it gave us, we kind of became more real in building as in like we used a lot of MDF and things that we would kind of, not fake, but materiality became a lot more playable for us because we said to you, we want to do this with this material and you would say yes. Well, and tiling had never been done. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then we'd do things like, you know, we want to make our glass bars that we did, you know, which I think in the past would have, you know, I mean, it was for that concept specifically, but we give you things that were newer in materiality and pushed us and you always came back and kind of said yes. Yeah, so I think even though we've done, we'd done, I don't even know how many miles before that, it was a real change in Thinking, thinking for us, like we were able to bring more real interiors to this temporary build. Which is super exciting, definitely. And I do feel sometimes if you work with people who, and I don't mean this in a bad way, yes, people, people who can come on board with your idea and go, okay, I'm with you, then if you know you have, you know, someone like you guys with us, we'll think of more to do or take more risks because we know we've got skilled people who can come on board with us and that's I guess 
the power of collaboration and that elevates everyone's yeah. thinking. I think I was, I was actually talking to Neil um, during the week and he was saying that he vividly remembers saying to you, Amanda, that I don't know where you come up with these ideas. And he said that you looked at him and said, I don't know how you build them. Um, and so I think that kind of sums up, you know, how these crazy ideas that you come up with that we've yeah, got to try and problem solve our way through it. It's um it's so funny to me when you said earlier, Dale, that that first meeting in the office you didn't you didn't really know how you were going to build the marquee because I've never gotten that vibe from you. It's sort of I it feels like you always say yes to us and you you know how to do everything, which is amazing. Mm, that's we love that. You kind of don't hear yourself enough. Like normal builders, I don't know, it's a completely different way to build. Like we have contact every single day of the build for the marquees where other sites I might see the builder once a week or once every two weeks but every single day like we are in contact whether it's I'm um, on site literally we're photographing we're texting we're phone calling and you can't not do that because the timing's so short that and so much happens in one day that like it just it's how it works um well, I think bring, by doing yeah and if I bring something to the table that's not quite where you wanted it to be there is a little bit of give and take. But I think there's a lot of trust as well because yeah. I know that if something doesn't work, Dale will tell us and not just go and do it and it's not right. Like he'll say, I can't do it like this, but we've worked out we can do it like this. Is that all right? And we're like, amazing. That's incredible. You know, like it's really on the move, on the fly. It's their knowledge of the build that can kind of inform how it all kind of Definitely. goes. Definitely. And I feel like because of the work that you do in residential, that informs your taste level as well. So I know that when you're picking an alternative substrate, it's going to be kind of the one that we would like. Um, you know, so I think that is incredibly efficient, you know, when you're working with people who have a similar ideal as you. I think that's incredibly efficient and appreciated. All right, so we've made the marquee or we're making the marquee. What are the major creative threads in a marquee that keep 350 people happily fed and entertained all day loose? I think it's trying to create as many experiences as possible within the space. I know a lot of the clients feel quite strong that for them this is entertainment so they like to bring out things during the day but I think for us it's more okay when they arrive in the morning they've had a huge trek they're going to want somewhere to sit comfortably, have a coffee, catch up with all their friends. And then it's like, then, they, you know, what are the movements in the day of when they want to get up and dance or when they're going to go out and explore the rest of the birdcage and then come back and then what happens? And it's like, what's the next food or offering? Are they, you know, when are they going to get sore feet? And it's making all those individual moments. Like it's not, they're not going back to what they've done before. So it's trying to create in a very small space all these different things that they will be able to do during the day and make their experience better. Yeah, it is, um, you know, definitely about the food and the, you know, the drinking and all of that. But as you said, you need, it's a long time. They're from 10, they're till, 10 till 6. It's eight hours of entertaining. It's, it's a long day. And I think there is a shorthand over time together with our event managers and clients that we know when people will be excited. We know when they'll be a little bit tired. We know when they'll be a little bit drunk, <laughs> um, you know, so, and we know what to do about that. Bring on the fries. 
you know, so it does, it is interesting. What about you, Jahan? What, what does it take to keep people happy and entertained in your world? One of the things is making sure they have different places to go within the marquee because at the end of the day, it could just be a 10 by 20 metre room, but you need to make them feel like they need to explore every inch of that room and then having surprise and delight moments at every layer, like, you know, the DJ in the roof, um, in 2017 and then we had this dance through photo booth underneath and even just levels can create that so it almost feels like you're going to another place just by going to the other side of the marquee. Two steps up and yeah. you've gone from a dance floor to a lounge. Yeah. Yeah, it's really interesting, you know, um, how it can be in one space but you are creating different little moments. When we did Oliver Street, we create, actually created different rooms for people to explore and that was, that was super fun as well. So what do guests want when they come to a marquee? And Dale, you've been at a lot of parties <laughs> <laughs> with Gemma. What do you want when you go to a marquee? Fun, loud music, you know, um, a party atmosphere but it does start with the design well I suppose I'm biased and you know sometimes we're the forgotten heroes really like we've been there for six weeks and and then the party's on and everyone forgets who designed and built built it really but you know for me it's like I I'm a very attention to detail so if I want the guests to not see you know bad paintwork or squeaky floors um so you know I'm quite um you know, when the marquee was empty, I'd be walking around, you know, pushing my foot on floorboards and making sure that um, things weren't Putting out of place. Another nail in the floor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I and I remember being under the the um, scaffold trying to work out how to put some you know wedges in to stop the the stairs squeaking or leaking or rain. You know, rain was. An I mean, issue. rain's the enemy out there, um, isn't it? So I suppose I was trying to like the guest experience. Um, and yeah, you don't want to be having leaks come in the middle of your dance floor and things like that. So, you know, our, our stuff started a week before where if it did have a, a downpour of rain, we were, you know, really had the buckets out watching where leaks were and trying to fix them. Um, and that's the hardest thing about Flemington is you literally get four seasons, especially in November. Um, so, yeah, just trying to keep, you know, the marquee in pristine kind of condition. And we were always... I would always have someone working on the Monday in between Derby and, and Cup because I knew that I would get a phone call from you guys saying that we didn't like something or, you know, someone's, you know, damaged a, a piece of material, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that maintenance side of things, Jahan and her team and Luce are out there every day refreshing flowers, fixing things that are broken, you know, with the cleaners, with the steam cleaners. It's, you know, to have 350 people in one space for eight hours. It takes a bit of punishment. I think 2017 was um, after Derby Day. We didn't have the glass in the on the bars where the floral was of the plants, and everyone thought it was um, a bench top, so they were putting all their wine and glasses in there. So it was a bit of a like crisis call on the Sunday, and you know, getting things. Uh, glass cut to um, fit in and stop people putting their glasses in there. Yeah, that was funny. Okay, so um, Jahan, what do you think clients want from a marquee? Well, you know, they're, they're obviously, it's a huge focused investment for a lot of brands. At the end of the day, what are they after? I think especially now they want something that is most of all shareable. You know, they want to get those numbers back about the reach and um, that 
can happen, especially through photography. And they want just their guests to have an amazing time and for their marquee to be the best. Competition time. <laughs> Do you think there is competition out of Flemington? Tell us about that, 100%. everyone. Yeah, definitely. Like I think it's a part of the brand is putting so much money into their marketing spend and sponsorship that of course they want people in there and they want the cameras in there. I think um, it's quite interesting because obviously a lot of the same brands are there for multiple years in a row and these brands and marquees definitely take on stigmas of, you know, that's the party marquee, that's the corporate marquee, that's, you know, the luxe marquee and I think people start to get this expectation from the brands of, uh, you know, this marquee is always so much fun. Everyone has an amazing party time or this marquee has got the amazing design, you know, the most amazing design experience. It's got the best food. It's, you know, and I think for us to be able to create what is needed for those specific brands and what direction they want to go, I think is probably quite important as well. Like you don't want the party marquee to be dead and no one to be partying in there like you've got to you've got to make sure that you know your client well enough to be able to give their clientele the experiences that I guess they expect as Definitely. well and look you know that's it's no secret that you need French champagne in the marquee um, you know in the early days if a marquee would have Australian champagne there'd be no one in it and everyone would be around at the marquees that had French champagne so I think that's it's it's sometimes that basic and you know, the design can be amazing, but it still needs to be an incredible hospitality experience, you know, foremost, I guess, which is pretty interesting. So, um, you know, we've had a lot of fun out at Flemington over the last few years. Uh, tell us now, what's been your favourite marquee design um, and build and why? What have you loved the most? Well, we've been talking about it the whole time. It's the <laughs> pink marquee with the velvet. It was just the most amazing, beautiful place of all, even I thought. I want to live here. Like it was just the best. And then also 2017, which we've been talking about this whole time, was just completely flipped but still this amazing interior design space. So they're my two favourites. What about you, Luce? Definitely the same. I think for me it took the design, the detail of design to a new level with those marquees um, and it wasn't just colours, it was multiple layers of texture and design that we were able to get away with and I think one big thing, uh, we really wanted the steel frame windows and initially we were like, yes, there's going to be glass in there and everything and then the price came back and we're like, right, you can't afford this and then we're like, we'll just take the glass out and so it was the same, you know, it was what we wanted but that adjustability to be able to get all these new things that we kind of hadn't pushed to that level before in the design and then I think we recreated the entrance to the marquee for the first time as well. It had a new entrance. And so you couldn't actually see that, you know, the marquee until you kind of, unless you were invited in and you kind of walked around and discovered it. And so it was really nice. I think we're always in the back corner hiding with our heads <laughs> peeking out and seeing people kind of gasp and like pat the velvet walls and want their photographs. Yeah, I think it was those two for me as well. They're definitely so much fun. Um, so a couple of quick questions for you all. Um, sort of a versus one. So is it the power of being behind the scenes or the glamour of front of house that you prefer, Luce? Definitely behind the scenes. I um, I like to kind of be a hidden fly on the wall when the glamour's there, but I'm generally too exhausted and <laughs> had enough of it by the time all the glamour happens. And it's nice to, I just do love to see though how people react and experience your space, but I've generally been in it 
for so long, I'm kind of just happy to let them <laughs> take over and run with it. I think um, the boys that, you know, are the, the power behind it, you know, they do want to kind of be seen that they've they've worked hard and, and they do love that when the client comes in and, and they get the pat on the back. Um, yeah. So Acknowledgement. Acknowledge, yeah, yeah, and they, they do deserve totally it. Do. Um, we've got you know, such a great team and, and we've got the same faces that have kind of been around for six years. So, you know, with with Neil, Sean, Ben, Spud, um, those guys that, you know, they, they put everything into it and they're there till some nights at 10, 11. I think they like had a, an apartment in Flemington that they hired for the last week. Like they really do work around the clock. Um, and seven days a week. Uh, yeah, and seven days a week, like all weekend. And yeah, so like I know it's a bit of a twist to to that question, but yeah, like we obviously are the back of the house and, and we don't get seen. But I do think we when we do get an acknowledgement, it does help. It, it definitely is a, is, is a thing. What about you? I know your answer, Johan. Yeah, my answer is absolutely behind the scenes. I do not like to be at the front of the scenes. But, I mean, it is nice to enjoy this environment that you've been working on for maybe six, seven months um, and to see people's reaction. It's amazing. But just for a little while and then go home and have a sleep. <laughs> well, you're, you're sick of Flemington yeah, after six yeah. weeks. Like yeah. four days, just you like, no. <laughs> I can last till cup day. Derby and cup are fun, but then steaks, you know, by the time we get to steaks after Oaks, it's really difficult. The adrenaline's kind of gone and then it's like you go, you know, the high has been the high and then you go down to this sort of, you know, low where you just have to chill, you know, and come out of it. It's pretty incredible. It's interesting that all of the people I've spoken to um, say the same thing. Everyone, no one said, yeah, I want to be out there with the glamour of the event. They've all said, I don't, after I create it, I like to go home and be in my trackies and have a glass of champagne. Well, we're all exhausted, aren't we? Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. The best moment, I think, is when maybe it's the night before and you've finished and everything looks so good and it's ready for guests the next day and you're just all stand back together and think we did this yeah and it's that moment where it's all still ours you know we've been working on it for six months and then the moment the next day happens it's not ours anymore it's it's out in the ether it's for other people to enjoy and to see people in that environment enjoying it I guess is deeply rewarding um, as well and for the client you know they've invested a lot and to see it coming to life is pretty exciting and finally today, as you know, we love a quote, good, bad, daggy or otherwise. Um, I'd love to hear your favourite quote, Dale. Mine is you can't buy experience at a shop. And it kind of, for me, you know, I didn't have experience when I've walked into this whirlwind. Um, you know, I was lucky enough that the, the builders out there are quite accommodating. And, you know, Tony kind of gave me a few tips um, that had been building there for 20 years. Um, people like that kind of give you, you know, a rough idea of how to do things. But now six years in the event industry, like experience, you know, you just can't buy it. And um, we're lucky now that the experience is, is coming through. Mm. And hopefully it'll continue to come through in our new reborn New era, I guess yeah, you'd that's call it. it. Yeah. Jahan, what's your favourite quote? Well, I am actually going to steal one of yours, which is my favourite. Um, Amanda always has this saying that is, shoot for the moon, land in the stars. And I think it just summarises that if we have big dreams for what we want to create, 
it's always going to reach that point of um, creating something amazing together, no matter if the materiality changes or the budget changes, we will have a happy result. Yeah, hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much we do. Yeah. It's true. It's I, don't, true. I don't think there's really been a project that we've come out of. No, that we haven't loved. Or yeah. That, yeah, I agree. What about you, Luce? What's your favourite quote? I actually don't really have a favourite quote. Me? I tried to rack my brain and I was like, I feel like you are my inspiration for all my quotes. You'll drop these gems. <laughs> I kind of get more stuck on a word and I'll stick with a crazy word. For like a phenom- I'll say everything's phenomenal for like six months and then that word will kind of move on to another word that I use to describe everything for a little moment in time. But I feel like you're always dropping the gems of... <laughs> Inspiring sayings and quotes, and you'll be like, Yes, but maybe you don't need a quote. I there is a sense of vibrancy when you say, When you ask, like, you'll say, What was it like this event? and you'll go, It was phenomenal. And I actually can feel it in your voice of how good it was. So we know when you drop that, that it is real it means something. (laughs) I would really like a quote, I feel like I need, I need, but I don't know. I'm have literally, I don't know, I don't have one. It's but, all um. good. We'll go with phenomenal. What's yours, Amanda? Oh, which one? <laughs> um, oh, just generally, I would say it's my grandmother's quote, which is keep on keeping on. And I think this thing of, you know, obviously we've been going for 20 years, so we've, I've just kept on going, kept on going. Anything that's batted my way, I've just sort of, plundered through together with this amazing team so I think this keep on going thing just means reinventing yourself trying new things just keep going you know and I guess that breeds its sort of own resilience and I guess that's you know part of the celebration of being here today for 20 years for us so thank you so much for coming no thank you Um, Amanda and on I suppose from like looking at us three here you know you gave me a go um, and you give us so much confidence to have a crack and um, yeah, if it wasn't for you, I wouldn't have had the first gig. Um, so I do thank you for that. Oh, that's my pleasure. We we love working with you guys, and I'm sure there's more to come. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I guess it's all. Um, Gloss is always about food, so it's time for us to go and eat. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah. See you next time.